Good evening. Welcome to our annual Bad Talk associated with the Boston Design Week. And since the Bad Talks have had a substantial history at this point, I'm not even going to say what they are. I hope you know. And if anybody doesn't, just talk to me. Um, I have one major purpose tonight, which is to thank Linda Kochman, the Director of Marketing at KRH. Linda has been at the, um, at the inception and at the heart of all the bad talks for a long time, and we are eternally grateful to her. Tonight is her last one. Her mantle of uh, being the director of marketing of KRH is being handed over to Cindy Hepner, who is also here, and I just wanted to thank you, Linda, for all that you've added to this. <laughs> And of course, thanks also to the North Bennett Street School for hosting us. And I'm going to let Rebecca have a few words about that. Good evening, everyone. Many of you have been in this space before. If you've come to Bad Talks or if you've come to other events, um, I always call this the perfect event. Um, I have two purposes, one of which is also to thank Linda. Um, she's been a great friend of the school in many ways beyond the Bad Talks, but it's also been enjoy working with her. Um, I always say I don't do everything. I don't do anything, excuse me. She does all of the work for this, and she shows up and does a wonderful job, and these have been really successful. So I'm sure Cindy will carry on in the great tradition that you've but thank you so much for everything that you've done, both here and for the school as well. We really appreciate it. And KRH is incredibly supportive of the school. Um, they're one of our partners in craft. Um, they've also supported many different things at the school. On your seat, you have a postcard. It is our shameless plug for all the terrific things that are happening here at North Bennett Street School. Um, the main thing that I want to talk about is our annual celebration of craft. Uh, many of you have come here when we've had the exhibit of our student and alumni work. This year, we're going back to two international place. We want want to bring it to a broader audience, we'll then bring it here in June so people can still see it here in our space and we'll also be bringing the um, work from the uh, exhibit that we've done with the Fruitlands Museum and the trustees of the reservations called Conversations in Craft. That work is also coming here to the school so if you don't feel like driving out to Harvard, Massachusetts, which is very lovely out there and there's plenty of parking, you can come here for a little different experience and no parking options. Um, but thanks again. We also left a continuing continuing education brochure. Um, I also have to do a shameless plug for classes because we're a school. We do great education here. Many of you don't want to commit to our full-time programs, but you can certainly come for um, an evening program or for the weekend. So thanks again. Thanks for putting up with my very long introduction, and I'm going to pass it over to Kyle. Good evening, everybody. Uh, I'm Kyle Hepner. I'm the editor-in-chief of New England Home Magazine. Uh, we have been long very grateful to Paul Wright and Linda Kochman, whom you've already met, and also John Kilfoyle in the back, who is with United Marble. And the three of them came up with this idea for the Bad Talks and have been the motive force for it ever since. Um, but they came to me quite early on and said, you know, we would love you if, if you could kind of help us out with this and be our moderator. And it's been my personal and professional joy uh, to do that uh, for the past several seasons. Uh, we will miss Linda also, uh, but look forward to collaborating with Cindy, uh, who despite the name is not a relative, or maybe a very distant one for all we know, um, even if her side of the family doesn't know how to spell it properly. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but anyway, on behalf of New England Home, we are very pleased to be here um, and feel it's kind of part of our mission to be a tangible partner in the design community. Um, and this is one way of doing that. Uh, I also, and this is a bit fruitless, but I will welcome the non-existent people, I believe, who are here, who are not in the industry uh, because of Design Week. Is there anybody here who's not affiliated with residential design and construction or otherwise? No, I didn't think so. Oh, you? Well. <laughs> I'm not sure if family support groups count, but I think, I think you're good enough. Uh, here in support of people from the industry, as well as people in the industry, so we'll, we'll do that. Um, we do try to do at least one talk a year for uh, Design Week in the hope that it will be interesting enough to draw the outside world in. 
Um, luckily, we have such a wonderfully dedicated audience that all of you come regardless of when or where we do this, and so we're delighted to have you all. Tonight, we're going to be talking about creativity and just what role that plays, not just in the kinds of work that all of you here do, but also in the running of a business itself and how you deal with your staff and your management and your marketing and your connections with the world and all of the other things. Um, and I have three kind of wonderfully astute gentlemen here with me tonight who are all perfect examples of people and companies who've done an excellent job with that. Uh, starting kind of from the far end, we have Paul Lucas of Lucas Architecture over in Cambridge. In the middle, we have Sean Clark of Clark Distribution, uh, which many of you have probably worked with over the years, and their wonderful new facility over at Seven Tide Street in Boston, which I suspect we'll get talked about tonight a little bit. Um, and finally, uh, another company that is m affiliated with the industry in a kind of loose way, Winston Flowers. We've got Mr. David Winston, who is one of the co-founders of that uh, on, in its current generation, I should say. Uh, so we're delighted to have these gentlemen here, and I think rather than my giving more of an introduction, because I tend to go on too long, what we'd love to do is start with these three gentlemen talking a little bit briefly about what they and their companies do at this point. And so if we do that in alphabetical order, for no particular reason, I think we start with you, Sean. Oh. <laughs> Lucky boy. <laughs> Essentially, that's what we do on, on a day-in, day-out basis. We have three showrooms around New England, and they exist in the service of the design, construction uh, industry, and, and your associated consumers. Very good. Uh, next, I believe, is Paul. Okay, well, thank you very much for the invitation. It's great to be here in this wonderful space. It's also great to be here in the North End. Um, it brings back a lot of memories. This is where I started the firm 25 years ago, down in Ethicott Street in the Patrick Young Bank. For those of you who were in uh, following the art world at the time, there were, it was one of the art studios where there were some 30 some artists and two architects. I was one of those. We were at, uh, in a great location as we were overlooking the city as the Central Library was being built. It was a really interesting time. We had a relatively small space, but luckily we had Cafe Paradiso and uh, Cafe Victoria's <laughs> uh, conference room down the road. <laughs> Struggle to keep make sure we stayed within a certain way. 
Good. And David. Great. Um, thank you, Kyle. Thank you, Millie Went Home. Um, I'm David Winston from Winston Flowers, and I'm the co-owner with my brother, Ted Winston. It's, uh, next year will be our 75th year uh, in Boston. We still have the same original store on Newbury Street that we've had for close to 75 years. We are a full-service florist business from um, flower gifts uh, to weddings, commercial accounts and hotels. Uh, we have a gourmet division. We have a uh, garden design division. We have a garden center in Chestnut Hill, Mass. We have five retail locations in the Boston area uh, and, and a retail store in Greenwich, Connecticut. And we just opened a design studio in New York on Long Island City and we have a design studio for 25 years now in the South End, which we distribute to all of our retail stores and do the, the bulk of our work out of our design studio. Um, basically are one of the few florists that literally do any level of service when it comes to flowers and plants for the home or commercial. Great. Well, thank you for the introductions. I, um, tonight, as you know, we, from our uh, conference call uh, earlier to discuss this, uh, we're talking about creativity in all of the ways that it can be part of the experience of doing your work and running your company. Um, and I think, I mean, creativity itself kind of implies the idea of change uh, because something that's completely static doesn't involve any creativity because it doesn't change. Um, and so I think all three of you have started a company that was in one place and it's ended up at this point in a different place. And so I'd love anyone who wants to kind of jump in first to talk a little bit about you know what motivated this or how did this desire come up and the idea of creativity come in to your plans <coughs> to change the company from what it originally was to something other? Well, I think in our case it was more of an organic process. We were sort of, we're in the business because we love creativity. And for us, architecture is one of the kind of fields where one can engage in creative life. But it's not a guarantee, but it's a possibility. So as our founding principle was really to think about uh, projects and situations that we encountered in the most creative way that we could. And so that was kind of, I would say creativity for us has been a mindset. Trying to be open to new ideas, new experiences. Trying to actually bring them in in any way we can. Constantly alter the way we see the world ourselves and the way our clients see the world. So in that sense, there's been a common feature in how we've worked over time. But the way we've actually worked with clients over time is through this which you've then kind of started to apply in other areas. That's right. So uh, one of the things that we do in our process is we, um, and this is partly through our academic backgrounds and connections, is we're strongly uh, research-based. So not necessarily that every project has a research component, but if there are clients that are interested in delving deeper into a project and looking beyond kind of standard responses or schedules, we'll do extensive research. We'll bring in multidisciplinary teams all different kinds of walks of life, put together documentation, which then becomes a shared document for all the people that are involved in the practice. So it becomes kind of a process of discovery for the client and everyone else. And then there's a new ground that's set so that people can build upon that experience as we try to find the right fit for this particular design project. And this process has allowed us to do something like a medical simulation lab. We had a project with a client who came to us once, and they had interviewed 10 different architects in New York City, they were based out of New Jersey. They said they had a medical simulation lab that they were working on in New Jersey for their campus. They talked to these 10 firms who had done them. 
Great. Uh, well, Sean and uh, David, I mean, both of you are involved in multi-generational companies. Um, and so the kind of the evolution of the firm has been gradual over time and may have happened in a number of different waves. Uh, David, you had mentioned the fact that um, Winston Flowers got started with a shop on Newbury Street. And I think before that, there was even a flower cart that used to be out in the street in front of the Ritz-Carlton. Um, so kind of the journey from that beginning to kind of the multi-part empire, if I can call it that, that you head up now with Ted. Can you get um, the flower cards yeah. back? That's a <laughs> <laughs> full circle. Actually, some clients, you could have the flower cart just show up every morning. And you can. Um, but has that, I'm sure that, that uh, journey has happened over quite a long period of time. Um, and in more than one kind of spurt, as it were. But sort of what was the thinking process behind that, or is there kind of been a, a plan that you guys have had behind it, or is it something that evolves? No plan, I can tell you that. No plan. <laughs> <laughs> no plan. Like Paul, it was, it's, it's all been very, very organic. Um, my father passed away 30 years ago. He had uh, uh, four boys, and we grew up in the business. And uh, now it's just me and my brother Ted. But basically, he taught us how to work really, really hard, uh, really be um, members of the community. Uh, he always hired very talented designers. Um, and I think what, um, so that's all instilled in us. And I think, I think what's enabled us to grow when I think about it is in the old days when um, my dad or even when I worked in Newbury Street or on Boylston Street, we used to, I used to do a little bit of everything, and I was really good at a little bit of everything. And, and um, you know, so I would be selling, I'd be buying, I'd be merchandising, I would be selling, I would be designing, I would be delivering, I would do everything. So that's a, it's a great way to grow up. But I think what's enabled us to grow the, the most is um, when we started the concept of a design studio in the South End and, and centralized our retail stores to one big design studio and there's a lot of people under one roof. I think one philosophy that we, uh, or business model we wanted to do was have, um, have designers be more focused on design, have salespeople be more focused on sales and have managers manage. Because what I've found, in, you know, since it's a, a design meeting is that you know designers are really great at designing and conceptualizing and, and uh, making beautiful things with their hands and talking design with customers. But when you try to make a designer a manager or a front salesperson or an administrative person, it, it's, not, it's not a good fit. So we, but when you surround them with people who are really good administrators and really good you know, um, salespeople and do the customer contact, it just, it, it allows you to reach more customers, do more design, uh, do more back of the house kind of work, and just by providing that type of um, um, support around a designer, um, you, you just organically, you can just do more, because otherwise somebody's very limited. So, so now, if you fast forward to now, we have approximately 40 designers, you know, all, all different tiers, and uh, all different tiers of salespeople, and all types of back, back house support and it's just allowed us to do more business um, and do it more effectively. Great, and so Sean, uh, this probably sounds a little familiar, some of that, but uh, what was sort of the creative impetus behind your Clark's journey from standard distributor to, as you put it, I think supplier yeah. or purveyor of experiences? Well, a big part of it is many, many years, I, uh, maybe 15 to 20 years ago, we saw, we, we saw uh, a, a hole in the in the in the industry that we're in, in the in the high-end appliance business, kitchen business, that um, at that time nobody consumers really weren't happy going to an appliance dealer. Some of them have gotten better now, but um, there wasn't great service. There wasn't. Uh, I know certainly our products weren't displayed properly. You know, it was a, a sub-zero, and they would take a razor knife to the front of the box and say, "Well, that's a sub-zero," and that's not really how someone wanted to buy um, an expensive 
refrigerator. And then there's a lot of people involved. There's a designer, there's a builder, there's an architect, and there's specifications needed, and there's you know delivery and all that. So we we sort of dove on that on that opportunity to just get involved and heighten the the branded experience that that I, I think our our mutual consumer deserves. And and it's funny, I was reading a I was reading an, uh, and it's all about the experience, right? And I was reading a story about Toys R Us. Uh, God bless them for, for going out of business. And there was, um, the, the journalist that wrote the article made it, said if, if they had only did these couple of things, and one of the examples that stuck with me is uh, one of the things that Toys R, people went to Toys R Us for was to buy a bicycle, right? Because not always something you wanna buy online, and you know, there's not a lot of bike shops left necessarily anymore. Um, but you want to size it for your kid, you want to take it for a test drive, whatever. Why couldn't they have put a test track around the inside of every Toys R Us? They had the space and, and give, give people an opportunity to have an experience and engage with the brand. Why couldn't they put, I'm sorry to use this as an example, but I think it connects at some point. You know, why couldn't they put in the center of every Toys R Us a Nerf gun area so you know fathers and sons go in there and pick out their Nerf gun and shoot each other up and have an experience, right? And that's you know, from when we started, we were just a distributor. We were moving a box from point A to point B, but the designer, the consumer, the builder were sort of getting left in the dust. So we saw an opportunity to, let's create an experience for this kitchen design process. So now, you know, fast forward to today, we have three showrooms. Every showroom has a full-time chef, interns from Johnson and Wales. Every consumer, every designer that comes to see us um, has an experience with food, right? Because that's the result of the kitchen. We like to say we try to help people today. We're involved in the conversation. Um, the KRH guys, their kitchen is is a, one of my favorite kitchens. Is up there. Yeah, I feel like we have a hand in putting that space together so that a, a family can. What we like to say is reclaim their kitchen and take it back. Take back food preparation as a family. Take back eating together as a family. Uh, and if we can be part of that in a little way and enhance that in, in a little way. Um, that's kind of what we're all about. And we didn't used to be. Right. Well, that actually is a perfect segue because it seems to me that all three of you, I mean, the companies that you had, you've made what I assume is an intentional effort to be notably different from other similar companies that purvey a, sim a similar product. Um, and I'd love to maybe talk a little bit about the kind of the creative background to that and where those ideas came from um, and maybe lead that into a discussion a little bit of where creative ideas do come from in general and what your sources of inspiration are. Um, and so maybe uh, start with you, Paul. Sure, if I can maybe start with your last question first because it's something that's very interesting to me um, and uh, I think about it a lot because at some level it's a mystery where the creative ideas come from and this whole creative process is a mystery but when you're in the middle of it and it's working well when you know it and when it's not you also know it so it's trying to get into that zone and it's one thing to think about the creative process as an individual or just a singular, a singular artist it's another thing to think about the creative process if you're part of a team if you're running a team so in that way in terms of the evolution of our firm it's evolved over time because the responsibility is then to create the environment that supports the creative process uh, and where ideas come from. But so at a personal level, for me, ideas come from travel. I travel a lot. I love seeing different places. I love being jolted out of my everyday experience to see a different culture, a different something in other ways through any of the senses. Um, I read a lot, I go to a lot of museums, exhibits. I love talking to the young people in our offices, uh, being able to hear what their ideas they come from all over the world. So all these things feed this kind of soup, the making of the soup. And it's interesting to have the ingredients come together. So that, I see as one of the kind of responsibilities I have in creating these ideas now, creating those kinds of environments which allow people to be part of that process. I'm curious what your Yeah, actually just a little quick follow-up. I mean, one of the things Sean was talking about was creativity in Clark's case was really addressing the relationship with the customer. Uh, has that actually been an issue with you as an architectural firm? Are there creative ways of engaging with your clients that can enhance the success of what you do and change well, the outcomes? It, it does, and it's a 
and again, he says that it's not for all clients, but for instance, it's those clients that want to engage in this um, research process. It really takes, it changes the role, because clients have become partners, and they can start defining what the research agenda is. We give seminars, we make our friends of Uber went to China and produced a giant book, and have a one-week session of all the executives of the companies to talk about all the research that was outlined by the CEOs there. So it, it, it again becomes this kind of bonding experience. The other thing we do is we focus a lot on representation, on drawing, both contemporary or analog and digital techniques. And that, I think a lot of our clients really love witnessing because it's kind of an art form. Uh, and we particularly like exploring ways in which we can merge those different technologies. So being able to experience architecture and space in the making process. And of course, we love engaging our craftspeople in the process too. So it allows people to be part of something that's a special process. So again, we try to allow people to experience their everyday, or their assumptions about their everyday experience of making something new. Right. Well, David, just to follow this up. Yes, yeah, so I think what we uh, pay a lot of attention to is, um, is, the, is the client. And um, I think in this industry, there's a lot of florists out there that do events or do designs and it looks like um, they did it uh, as opposed to what, when we have clients come in, we're, it's really all about them and kind of what is their sense of style? Uh, what do they like? Do they like classic things? Do they like organic things? Do they like modern things? Do they like clean things? What is the environment that it's gonna go in? What is the season it's gonna be? And we take that all in and bring our expertise and professionalism and creativity and make something custom for them. Uh, and that's extremely important. And I think too often when, um, when you can say, oh, that's, you know, that's done by that floral designer, it's, it's too much about them. And I think that we, we, we wanna really pull all the best of, of what uh, a client is looking for. And nowadays, you know, it, it makes it fairly easy that people come in with a lot of imagery, you know, whether it's Pinterest and Instagram. And, but it actually helps us get a, a design sensibility of what their taste is and it, we can fine tune and, and get inspiration from that, but bring our expertise to the table and uh, make something that's really beautiful and customized for them. Um, and, and also, you know, in, in our business, um, one thing that's very inspiring is that because we're in New England, and unlike a lot of the florists across the country, you know, there's, there's, we have the beauty of the seasons changing, you know, it's a, and, and usually we have a change in early spring, late spring, then early summer, and late summer, you know, early summer is different than late summer, you have dahlias and kind of an Indian summer and deeper tones, and then it goes into fall, and then you have uh, winter. So we, in the floral business, and at Winston's, we pay a lot of attention to seasonality. And um, so we're always pulling things in from the season, and pulling things in, um, you know, we pay attention to the latest trends, we pay attention to travel, we see things on Instagram, we um, see what other people in the industry are doing, see what architects and restaurants and hotels, their interiors are doing, and we pull all that inspiration in and bring our expertise and customize things for people who want their event. Right. Well, I love the fact that about nine-tenths of that answer, and I suspect you guys may have noticed this too, what you said about the sort of how you're working with the customers and trying to elicit what they want and give them what they want. Almost word for word, every single architect or builder or designer in this room probably could have said exactly that same thing about their own work. So the amount of commonality we have is kind of incredible, actually. Um, so just to follow up a little bit about kind of creative impulses and influences, um, I mean, you just touched on that a little bit, David, but Sean, do you want to talk a little bit about where did the you know, some of the things like Seven Tide and the installations you've done in your showrooms and how you've reached out well beyond the traditional bounds of your industry. Where did those ideas come from? How did you foster them in, in the group? I, I don't mean to be boring, but it, it, it's similar answer in, our, in, in ours is listening to and, and understanding and, and maybe in some cases anticipating what the consumer uh, wants and, and, and needs. Um, and, and not necessarily, you know, we have this, we have this um, sort of taboo if you're in a meeting and, and you make the mistake of saying, well, I think you're gonna be reprimanded in a nice way along the lines of it doesn't matter what you think, it matters what 
what the consumer thinks, and then we can think about ideas. So um, for us, uh, research is very, very important. We do a lot of market research. We talk to the consumer a lot. Uh, we just finished a big, a big qualitative study, in-depth study um, with about 400 uh, customers that we've worked with over the years. You know, just because we don't want to get complacent, we want to make sure that what we're doing matches their expectations. Um, in this case, we went so far as to is to triple check we did it across age cohorts: baby boomers, Generation X, and millennials. Because it's all all this talk that each of them want and need different things, and it was weird. We learned they, they really don't. They're really they're really sim very similar. Um, so, and we, we were headed in the wrong direction on that until we got the research. So I think for us, research is very important. And then this really ugly acronym that I think um, we need to rename because it's just a mouthful is uh, T-F-L-A-S. Um, <laughs> I know, it's try, fail, learn, adapt, succeed. And we have everyone in our organization has a mindset of we're not, with that said, we're not afraid to try new things, learn from it, adapt. And, and measure and, and figure out a way to whatever it is that we're doing, whether it's little, a little thing or, or a big thing like, like um, you know, Seven Tide Street, the first time we've had you know, branded partners with the Kohler Signature Store and Marvin Windows and Doors, and we're learning a lot from that, and we're making adjustments along the way. And um, I don't know, for us, that kind of a mindset works um, in, in creating successful initiatives. Yeah. Well, obviously, uh, in addition to kind of being creative about the larger business, all of you have concentrated, I think, on encouraging creativity within the company and in your staff. And, and that's, I mean, did anybody want to talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the big advantages we have is, you know, we have a big design studio with, let's say, 30 or 40 designers in a room and at all different levels, but the beauty of that is people at entry level or mid-level has always seen what's being produced uh, by the top designers in the company. So there's constant inspiration going on. And also the top designers in the company can see what, you know, maybe somebody put together a little combination of something and said, oh, you know, that looks beautiful like that. So it's, it's kind of subliminal with this constant inspiration happening all the time. People are sharing ideas and trying new things. And that's one hugely important thing in, in uh, our company now, and have been doing this for a long time, but we, we have extremely creative people, but, but we also try to find people that are kind of egoless and, and, and are willing to share and, um, and um, collaborate and aren't afraid to kind of um, help people come along. And, and uh, so, so the atmosphere that we've created is a very collaborative atmosphere. It's very inspiring. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm most proud of people who entered the company. I mean, I have somebody who's at, having a 25-year anniversary this Saturday, and he started at the company at a maintenance level, literally sweeping the floors and the trash, and, and so, but just took a liking to design years ago, and now he's a very high-level designer in the company, and very capable of uh, doing, you know, he's gone on destination weddings with the lead designer, and uh, he might do a lobby piece in the Four Seasons Hotel, uh, but he's, it's only because he's learned and he's been inspired and, and he's been able to grow. So it's, it's very rewarding to have young people come in and learn from the best just by being in the atmosphere and grow. And I think that's the best way for people to learn. So it's been fun to see. We have a lot of similarities uh, in our organization. I want to add, add to that. Um, Assume a, a lot of folks have experience with this, but for us, it's just amazing is the use of interns. Hmm. On on top of that, sort of like as the farm system, um, it's a great way to. I just the, the, they're so smart. Um, they're just so smart and eager, and um, you know, I, I don't want this to come out the wrong way, but kind of the cool thing is neither of you are committed to each other, so I think it gives them a little bit of an opportunity to to be a little more, you know out of the box and a little more outward and if it doesn't work out no one gets upset at each other but what I found is more I think we're on like our our fifth intern that we've hired into a full-time position because it's a great way for you to interview each other um, while they're interning so I, I highly recommend um, heavy doses of, of internships if it works in your res respective business I would agree with the things that 
Sean and Dave said, um, our office is also a very open student environment. So again, people learn and just through osmosis, just being in the same space, they may overhear a conversation with a client or a contractor, a phone call, all those things become important lessons in the development, particularly of the younger staff. Um, but one thing that we do a little bit differently is in terms of our management style, it's actually based on, uh, I love soccer by the way, so every time someone comes from the soccer, the soccer metaphor, but the way the Dutch play soccer, in the 1970s, they never revolutionized the way the Dutch was played, the way the soccer was played. That is, instead of having a specialized position, that's all you did. For instance, you were a forward, you went to have the ball, that's what you did, you were a defender, you were a defender. In this case, all the players had a very high technical level. And then what they did is they allowed players to play different positions. So defense could be forward and so on. So in a simplistic version of that, what you try to emulate that. You have people come in very high level of talent and technical ability. And even if they're junior, they will be a project manager on a very small project. And they will be supporting senior project managers on big projects. But when their project comes online and they need help, they might be telling the, the, the senior person what they're doing. So it allows the junior people to accelerate the development and learn all aspects of the business and then learn what's really required to put the whole package together. I've also, you know, in my business there's no, there's no university <coughs> or even special courses you can take. It's, a, it's um, you know, the floral, I mean there's landscape design, but uh, the floral trade, um, usually we get our people from other types of creative back, backgrounds that uh, use our medium to make a career. So oftentimes, whether it's mass art or people, uh, I was talking to a girl today who was, uh, she was uh, a printer, um, and um, one was a jewelry designer, one was a um, sculptor, but they couldn't really um, figure out how to monetize that or to make money in that, but they came and they might have worked with us for a summer or something, and because it's such a creative environment, they've become floral designers, um, or they love working in a flower shop. They just want to be in a creative atmosphere. So it's really nice to be able to take people who maybe studied something else, but are you know, very creative, but uh, use the floral business to create a career. And that's one thing that we've been able to do is actually create careers and, and uh, career paths for people because uh, we're bigger than the average florist and we have uh, a lot of locations and a lot of departments and a lot of different uh, segments of the business, so it's been nice to be able to have people uh, have a career path and provide that from somebody who didn't quite know how to use their creativity in the first place. Yeah, well some of those different segments that you just referred to, I mean, having started as a more or less traditional floral shop, but now you have you know a number of retail uh, stores of various types. You've just opened a big one down in New York, and I think you're opening a new design studio down there. Yep. Um, and you also have a big garden design division um, and those are all not what you would expect from a floral company necessarily. Sort of how did that process well, take place? Well, it's funny, us? you know, when you, when you say that, things come to mind. You know, I remember when I was literally 14, 15, 16 years old and old enough to drive, I would, I would do, you know, terraces on Commonwealth Avenue and Beacon Street, and I could still remember, you know, the woman on 330 Beacon, she likes coral impatience and the clay pots, and this is so-and-so on Commonwealth Avenue, has to have all white, and she only wants petunias and geraniums, and it's still, <laughs> so we actually did it, but, and, you know, I knew everybody's window boxes on Beacon Hill, so we actually did it, but we did it in a very kind of small, grassroots way, and, when, and just in time, when we had a garden center, we were able to just have more product on display and have more containers, and hire people and and just grow it, but it, but it actually had its roots. Uh, even our gourmet division, uh, I remember my father running across the street to Flags Market uh, um, and buying you know cheese and ham, you know cheese and salami and produce and making a gift basket. So we did it, you know, back in the 60s and 70s and 80s. But we just were able to, you know, make departments and and create areas and hire people and grow it up from there. But it all has its roots back in that one flower shop on Newbury Street. Hmm. Well, Sean, um, you had mentioned earlier that you guys work very hard to kind of keep your associates and your employees sort of churning with ideas and keep the company moving. Do you have specific ways of going about doing that or is it a more organic yeah. kind of process? 
we uh, just little little things um, that maybe individually not, but together I think support that. Um, one is we're we're not afraid to bring in outside resources um, um, to help us. Whether it's we're always working with uh, consultants to force our group to to look look out. Yeah, what's the saying? To um, see the forest and, and not the tree. So and a consultant can can really help with that, um, and we're comfortable doing that. We're comfortable being uncomfortable because a good consultant will make you uncomfortable. Um, we have a, uh, what I think is a pretty cool internal training program, a lot of mandatory trainings where we bring outside resources in from anything from everything from personal health uh, to um, personal finance, um, you know, you know, social media for dummies, like somebody in the company will do a, a class on social media, everyone has to go. So we, we work hard to share knowledge uh, with each other, which maybe a small piece, I love the, the Dutch soccer um, a, a analogy. Um, another little thing, we have an idea fund. Um, we put a, uh, a, a significant amount of money aside in our in our income statement every year. And, um, it's, it's open forum for whoever comes up with an idea that passes salt, we can fund it. Um, and we've had ideas come from, uh, you know, one of our work truck uh, operators in the warehouse uh, all the way through to, you know, our director of operations who's really, you know, you wouldn't think as a mark, came up with a great marketing idea and we'll fund it um, and sort of celebrate that um, in the company. So I think little things like that, that we, that we keep, to keep each other on our toes. Right. Well, we've talked quite a bit uh, about the thinking that you guys have put into your relationship with the client or the customer. Um, have you done sort of similar kinds of analysis thinking about other ways that the company interfaces with the world, which would be either sort of trade partners, uh, because like many of you work with some of the people in this room, uh, or in your case, David, with you know, event designers and sort of people in the social world. Um, or just kind of marketing and PR and your outreach to the broader, broader world is how you present yourselves to the world in a way. Is that also a focus of creativity for all of you? Yeah, I mean, we, it's definitely, um, you know, our, our relationships with um, event planners, our relationships with interior designers and architects, um, uh, you know, is, is hugely important. Also being, you know, great members of the community and um, supporting charitable events. It also gives us an opportunity to get our best um, event work out there, but also supporting a great cause. And a lot of times when we support a great cause, we have a lot of great clients that are there and everything kind of, they appreciate it. Uh, they appreciate the support we give them and give their cause and uh, everybody sees our beautiful work. So it's just constantly kind of a win-win, being great members of the community and supporting things like that and, uh, you know, partnering with people in the industry. And uh, that's, that's uh, along with, you know, one thing that we, one conscious effort we have is, is to have these retail stores is to be, you know, we have a store in Hingham, in the South Shore, we have a store in Concord up in the North, we're in the Wellesley suburb, we're in town. But the idea is we're parts of those communities and become members of those communities so we're visible, people can walk in, we're, we're um, we, we know if the staff there knows everybody in the community, so therefore our, our, our business at the design studio grows because we have all these different um, um, locations in different communities. So partly the reason why we have the retail stores is just to grow the brand awareness, be members of the community, and just overall um, make people more, make us more visible. So they're really, a lot of times the, the retail stores stand alone, but they're also marketing efforts to be part of the community. Right, and actually on that subject, I hope everybody tonight has noticed and taken time to admire the uh, arrangements that David so kindly had brought over this afternoon, you, uh, which is a perfect example of creative <laughs> outreach. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Just to put that out there. Um, so, you talk about strategic partnerships. And, yes. Uh, one of the things we've done um, is we've enabled um, some more speculative projects Sea levels, particularly at the base of the volcano. Has anybody seen the King Tide? We've been on longboard. 
we know it's real. So this problem is becoming a key problem. So there's a, a project that we're working on uh, in the competition. And we have this crazy idea about cutting a canal through Columbia Point and turning them into a, a hydroelectric uh, uh, generator and also creating retention spaces. So that when storm surges coming in, you've got public spaces that could be used as diverting water. This is actually a very old idea that was based on Mill Creek, which is right down the street in, um, about three, 400 years ago. Anyways, in pursuing this idea, we invited, so we were able to make phone calls to all these CEOs of hydroelectric companies and turbine developers. They took our phone calls. They said, sure, we're interested in it. We'll work with you. We talked to all these different engineers. They all worked with us in putting this proposal together. And so it, it, it's this kind of work where if you have an idea and you can bring teams together, that I think is very useful in setting up these kinds of strategic relationships that then lead to real work. That's great. Sean, do you want to? Um, yeah, so I, I think twofold um, is, is you asked sort of how do we engage with our, our trade. Um, sort of industry and trade partners and also marketing and PR, kind of yeah. both of those things. And, and one thing, one thing that, that we learned, and, and I think um, especially our marketing team and our, you know, call it our data team, has gotten really um, evolved at is understanding where is the affluent consumer um, what are the psychographics? Um, what social media platforms are, are they or are they not um, consuming and when? Um, what magazines they're consuming and understanding sort of, you know, where, when, and how to be um, to attract the affluent consumer and then use that knowledge to help all of our design partners that we're associated with um, and, and help each other grow, mutually grow business. I mean, nothing nothing in our work makes us more happy than when we can deliver a red hot lead uh, to one of our kitchen design partners or one of our custom home builder partners. Um, and we do it on a day in and day out basis. And that's, that's the ultimate um, thank you and, and the ultimate, I, I think, the ultimate um, thank you that you can give to a, a trade partner is, is a mutual customer that they, that they then will have um, forever. So, um, I mean, we're, we work we work pretty hard at that. Yeah. Well, preferably, you both will have this customer forever. Correct. Uh, Correct. Through however many projects or houses they do. Uh, at this point, I'd maybe love to open it up a little bit to any input or questions from the audience. Uh, John has the handheld mic, so if anybody just raise your hand, and he will bring it over. Because I've kept you all silent for way too long tonight. I apologize. My question is about uh, risk, mistakes, and failure. Um, obviously, creativity involves doing new things you haven't done before. It's risky. Sometimes it doesn't work out. I'm wondering, what's your company culture around risk, mistakes, and failure? How do you ha handle that when it happens internally? And how do you balance that with quality control to your clients? I think that's by all means. Very good question. Because there's probably a universe relationship between risk and innovation across success, especially if you're talking to liability insurance agents and lawyers. <laughs> say, oh, great, good. <laughs> Let's be creative about your fees or your, your premiums. Um, so uh, I think what can, one can do, at least in our field, is distinguish between different kinds of risk. So there's artistic, aesthetic, say client service based risk. And those things, in and of themselves, may not be risky in terms of liability issues. On the other hand, if one's starting to use different methods of construction or delivery processes, processes that could impact cash flow and projects, et cetera, et cetera, then you're starting to get into higher levels of risk. And what's interesting in the field right now is a lot of really exciting things going on. I mean, you know, obviously, you probably read about things like 3D printing, uh, robotics. I mean, all these things are going to come into the market they have to be tested by the marketplace of lawsuits and liability issues and all that kind of stuff. It's serious stuff. If, if somebody's skylight leaks, they're going to call. So, you know, these are the kinds of issues that one needs to look at. So, I think there's a fine line. And if you have your client on board, it makes it easier. So, if you're in the process together, you can evaluate the risk, and they're aware of it. That's one of the really mitigating things for liability issues. I just saw. 
things that you can't do normally every day that would be impractical, really. So you could show your client something that you're thinking in, in real, real time. And they're doing it through a browser. It was a very simple, they're just coming up with the software and the technology now to, to do that really easily and inexpensively. So maybe, you know, it'll become more and more a part of your presentation, you know, as we move forward. It, is, it actually is, and it's happening right now. In fact, we had one of our clients we did a project for, uh, we, we presented her project in virtual reality. And we had the idea to sit down and be you know, a little bit careful with how we embrace it because when you get into this virtual reality, it can be disorientating. You can literally fall off your chair. Um, it's not my wrist. <laughs> wondering, something that you had brought up was just social media and bringing images to you and you felt like that was maybe easy and um, I was wondering how do you maintain the sort of kind of like identity when there's such an influx of like ideas coming at you and trying to provide for the customer but also being original and sort of maintaining your own identity as a company too and being creative at the same time. Um, Speaking for myself, um, I think I, I think about the old days. You know, you know, there's not a lot of um, floral work in magazines, or the magazines that were out there were, were not that great. Uh, when it, when I think about flowers or bride magazines, or uh, they were kind of always behind or dated, and there's not many of them. So now you're just inundated with up-to-date, instant, high-design imagery. So at least I feel like. The, the advantage nowadays is you, you kind of get, I think when it, you, you met with a bride in the old days, you know, you, you, it was the process of figuring out their design taste was, could be long, it could be kind of painful, it could be a lot of samples, it could be, um, but now when they come to you and they, and they have these, at least you have a, a design direction or a, or a sensibility. And, and we, we also are very good listeners and, and we like to hear people talk and, 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 and hear, um, what they might like and what the dress is and what the venue is and why they picked a certain thing and what the season is, like I say. So even though there's a lot of imagery and inspiration out there, I, I still have um, a lot of confidence in, in my staff and what our belief, we're, we're always able to bring you something original and something different, but at least we get a design sensibility kind of narrowed in and, and uh, we take it from there. And then uh, when, I, when I think about risk, you know, then we, we might take it to another level or try something new. Uh, but to limit the risk, we always have a sample meeting and a, a reveal where people come in and, and, we, and we, we might have a couple of different samples. So at least um, we, we take a risk and do something, you know, that might be taking their design sensibility and doing something a little bit different. We might do one that's a little bit more safe. Um, but none of it will be, exactly what they bring in. Uh, I, 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 I promise that. We, we just draw from that and give some options and then get to a place where we know we've kind of nailed it. And, and usually that we can tell when they walk in that it's like, you know, oh my God, they couldn't have imagined it, but we nailed it. But it's not something that's like, this is the picture and that's the picture, so. And the future is right I'm sorry? The future is right Yeah, oh yeah. 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 Well, that actually. It's, it's helpful. I mean, yeah. it's, it's the way the world is. So. Um, you know, if you, if you can't, you know, if somebody comes in with their Pinterest page, it's, it's, they all do. So you have to kind of roll with that and you have to kind of use that to your advantage. Um, right. and, 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 you know, I, it used to be, I remember 20 years ago, I couldn't find things that were inspiring or I couldn't find, there was no medium to do it. And now you can, you know, Google image things and, right. and it's Instagram all, it's has all very become accessible. So I think you just have to, uh, that's, that's, you know, embrace that. Yeah. Um, well, actually, sort of as we draw toward a close, then kind of putting yourselves in the shoes of tonight's audience, um, 
kind of what, if you were sitting out there, what would you want to hear as like the top one or two takeaways um, about the role of creativity and kind of not only what it's done for your three businesses, but what you would see it in a broader terms as being its value for all the businesses of the people here also. Just one thing that I didn't speak about, but uh, both of these gentlemen and, and Sean did, is, is the experiential nature of business now, and especially retail, or, or um, that people, you, you have to create, I, I think everything has just gotten so sophisticated um, that you need to not only create beautiful environments, but have um, events and activities and classes and demonstrations and, and bring people into um, you know, chari charitable things and be very engaged and, and be on social media and be connected. So it's very, very important to, to be connected and be part of a community and let people experience your, your, your design sensibility and meet your people and I think that uh, you know, retail isn't the same anymore, and um, it, it's very important to be engaged and, and, and to let people experience you in many different ways. I gotta agree with that. Just, <clears throat> it's funny, I read an article this morning, I think it was the New York Times that talked about all of the retail stores that are closing in, in believe it or not, Manhattan, um, and all pictures of all these neighborhoods that are just, they're empty. You know, these stores are empty, and um, and then uh, Boston Public Radio picked up the same story, and they went they went deeper on it. And it's just like attack against Amazon, um, but it but it's pretty clear. I don't think anyone would argue whether you're in retail, a designer, a builder. Is it, at the end of the day, it's all retail. It's a transaction with a with a consumer, and it's been extremely bifurcated. Um, you know, it's like on one end, it's Amazon, emotionless. By and then on the other end, it's high touch, kinesthetic, relational, and and if if you're going to be in that, I firmly believe that you, you you have to you have to up your game on the and, and and sometimes it's the little things that are the big things, right? Like these little things that you can that you can do that that people just appreciate and it makes it makes the experience remarkable, as in they're gonna they're gonna make remarks about it to others. Um, and I just think that's so important in our collective business. Um, to your point, what, whatever you're doing is, is to is to make sure that you leave a remarkable taste in in, uh, in your clients' mouth. Yes, and I would concur with all those things. And perhaps add that uh, to your words, I think we're so lucky that we live in this city, this town, at this moment. For me, it feels and for oftentimes it feels, it feels like it's almost like a Renaissance moment. Where you know we have so many talented people, we have so many great ideas, we have so many access to great institutions, resources, and so on. And the kinds of ideas that folks are coming up with in all fields, especially when they get brought together, is so rich in possibility. And so if we can, you know, as creative individuals, and it doesn't have to be necessarily a design field, it could be in any kind of field. As creative individuals, if we live our lives with a, with a, with a creative state of mind, there's great opportunities, I think, for all of us to enrich the lives of ourselves. And if I can actually interject, uh, even though I'm not technically a panelist here, but something that just came to my mind uh, listening to these three gentlemen, that we didn't talk about, and this may be partly my own preoccupation, but I think taking the time to think about and look for those influences and be open to all of the things that are going on around us, because I know we're all I suspect we are all in incredibly busy jobs, um, you know, working for or running projects and or companies. And so being able to just even take the downtime every month or every week to explore a little bit mentally and think about where should we be going, what should we be thinking about, what can we do to augment what we're doing uh, already, uh, I think would be a great a great opportunity. And so with that in mind, I would like to thank you all for having taken the time to come tonight and listen to this. Uh, I would like to thank our panel for being amazingly illuminating and I um, 
ask you all to please stay for another half hour or so and chat individually with these gentlemen about you know, kind of whatever has come up in your minds in this. Uh, again, thanks to the North Bennett Street School for hosting. Uh, wonderful location for this uh, and a place that's training more people to kind of come into our field. Um, we will be doing another uh, bad talk later in the season. I don't think we have the date quite set for that, but if you go on to the uh, website soon, we'll have that up, and I'm sure we'll be sending out notifications. Um, Paul, or is there anything I've forgotten, you guys, that we need to talk about? Well, then, uh, at that point... Oh. I, I just want to personally thank Kyle <laughs> and New England <laughs> Home for what... When, I, when we talked about partnerships earlier and partnering with the community, I think just the, when I think about our relationship with New England Home and just uh, whether it's being invited to this event or hosting a, a New England Home event in our store or just the collaboration and the partnership that we have. And I just want to thank Kyle. And, and I can't say enough about how hard he worked. He is like the face of New England Home. And <laughs> oh, everything. And I just want to thank Oh, you thank you so much, David. Let's hear it for these guys.